Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. This is Real Science Radio, and I'm Fred Williams. And I'm Doug McBurney, science geek, amateur comedian, and co-host of Real Science Radio. It's great to be with you again, Fred, talking about real science on Friday. Well, Doug, it's great to have you in the new Real I Science love Radio the, the studio. the palatial new studio <laughs> digs. Wow. Yeah. With yep. the signage and the mixing board and the, the real radio microphones and real radio headphones. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So, so we're gonna this go is great. Yeah. We're gonna go through some science articles that you've been putting together over the last month or two. Yeah. But before we do that though, Doug, we gotta do our interesting fact of the week. Okay, interesting fact of the week. Now are you're, you ready? Are, are you sure it's interesting? Have you pulled this? Have you done some focus group on this? I did. I did a focus group okay. and I said, is this an interesting fact? All right. I guess I'll trust the, I'll trust the judgment of your focus group, or I guess we'll test the judgment of your focus group. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. So, Doug. Yes. How many hearts does an octopus Let's have? Hearts? Yes. Hearts. Uh, so would this be an octopus that was stamped on a letter by a teenage girl, and then there were hearts stamped around it too? Or are you talking about an actual octopus? An actual octopus and an actual beating heart. Okay, I'm going to guess. Blood. I'm going to guess a hot an octopus has one heart. <laughs> no, nope. it's actually think of uh, the Trinity. Okay, so that an octopus has three hearts. Three hearts. Three hearts. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so good for my. Thank you. That's good for my self-esteem. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, if you tell them there's more than one, I think I would have probably guessed eight had I not known what this interesting fact was. I almost said eight, but I thought that was too obvious. Yeah, too many and too many hearts. And then then I thought, well, of course, I'm going to naturally assume it's more than one. So I went for the, well, maybe it was one. Maybe, yeah. Okay. So three hearts in an octopus. Three hearts. So one heart circulates blood around the body, kind of like ours does. Okay. But God designed two extra hearts to pump blood past the gills. You know, you got to get it out to all the gills. So Sure. And to pick up oxygen. Oh, so right. Three hearts. That's pretty cool for an octopus. Well, very good. And I wonder so- if you shot, if like one heart got stabbed, the other two would keep the octopus alive, you know? If there's a redundancy there. You have a saltwater tank. We could test that. Yeah. We well, you know, you can have an octopus in a saltwater tank. One of the guys that I'm friends with that owns a saltwater store, fish store, he had an octopus in his one of his aquariums. What it would do, it would leave at night. It would actually crawl out of the tank at night, go into <laughs> other tanks, eat, have a nice little <laughs> dinner snack, and then make its way back into its original aquarium. Wow. And they, he ended up seeing this on video. And so, yeah, <laughs> octopus, are, they're really smart. It's now, amazing. Was, was he eating other fish that were for sale? Oh, was, yeah, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> this was a costly thing to him. So that's why sure. he had to set up the cameras to figure out what's going on. All, yeah. My, all my yeah. stock is disappearing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, and he's a graduate of Rice University, and we're going to have someone fairly pretty famous from Rice yes. on our program here in an upcoming uh, week or two, which I'm really looking forward to that. Yes, so. Dr. James Tour will be on. He'll be discussing some of the happenings around origin of life research. There's a lot of happenings, and Dr. Tour is at the forefront of the happenings in origin of life research. Even though he holds to the position that we are absolutely clueless about the origins of life, especially those who have published all those papers. Yeah. Anyway, it should be really interesting. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I've had a chance to watch some of Dr. Tour's YouTube. He's got a Bible study going right now on Isaiah. So I'm going to be checking that out. Yeah, so yeah. Check in with him next week, see what's going on with Isaiah chapter 2. Did a little bit of Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, the previous week. So yep. we'll be looking forward to having Dr. Tour on. We're also going to be doing an update on artificial intelligence. We're yes, going to do another a, show. Yeah, we had a part one with Daniel Hedrick, and we uh, we want to finish that up with a part two. We had more material we wanted to get to, so we're going to make sure that we get to that in an upcoming show. Yes, yes. And it's January. That's so right. So it's telethon month. We are doing a telethon. Our goal is $25,000, and we don't need it to stay on the air because... You've been very helpful, and, and we're going to stay on the air. That's not the issue. We want to get it out to more people. We're going to be hiring a media team to help. I don't know if we want to game the algorithms. What do you even call it anymore? We just want more people to be able to see the show. And to do that, there are strategies that it, it's a full-time job to figure out how to break through people's personal little bubble and get them to see something that maybe they weren't looking for, like uh, hopefully the gospel, which we try to give here on a regular basis. So. Yeah, that's right. And so we air on AM 670 KLTT in Denver every Friday right? and on all of the various podcasts that you can connect to, like Spotify, Apple Music. We have tons of listeners there and we really love that audience. But we have another audience we want to reach, and that's the really the YouTube videos and shorts and these shorts that can go out on like Instagram and other places. That's where the, especially a lot of the young people are getting their news, actually, their, yeah. their facts about the world. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, huge, huge opportunity. There's so many people that watch these videos, even on what's it called, Twitch and these other things. I'm not a big fan of, but hey, if we can get shorts and video clips on things like Twitch and Instagram or whatever else the kids are watching, yeah, the young adults on up to who knows how old. I mean, you and I were kind of the, probably the Facebook crowd. I don't know. But <laughs> you're probably not even I, that. I yeah. guess. Well, you know, Facebook yeah. is, yeah, Facebook is the... Uh, the venue or the medium where old people kind of spy on their kids or, <laughs> right. you know, you, you know, they share jokes or whoever knows what Facebook really lost the young crowd. The young crowd is again on things like, um, uh, Instagram, TikTok, we TikTok. TikTok. That's what I couldn't think one. of. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's, that's TikTok's the thing the now yeah. you got to get on TikTok. Your videos got to be 3.5 seconds long. You got to make the point, but we do any, any chance we have to get in front of a generation who's been told they can find joy and satisfaction in life simply by satisfying their own appetites and lusts, they eventually realize that that's just not true. And yeah. they need to hear the gospel. And that's why we need to raise $25,000 in January. Go click through, subscribe to some of our monthly resources, or just sponsor a show. It's, I think, $150 to sponsor a show. What a bargain. Whatever, yeah, whatever you want, too. Sponsor, you sponsor a show or two. Yeah. Sponsor a month. Yeah. Help us out. $25,000 for January. We'll shut up about it after that. Well, so, I'm going to say one last thing. So yes. the man on the street interviews that uh, Ryan and I did, 
we're almost up. We're actually past 4,000 views. Hey, all That's right. 4,000 people. Actually, I'll, I'll estimate maybe 3,500 who have never heard of Real Science Radio. So wow. that's the point. We're tapping into people who have never heard of us, and they're going to hear about soft tissue. They're going to hear about these different things yeah. that support the biblical account of the history of the world. Amen. And most importantly, Jesus Christ, who yes. is the creator of all things, and we need to get that out there. That's it. And so, and creation is just one of the tools we use because it gets people's attention. Because yeah. as you'll see when we, when we have Dr. Tour on, the other side doesn't really have any evidence, and they have less and less every day. And so, in fact, let's, uh, we've got some, some news articles from the world of science so-called, I guess we yeah, call it. Yep. Again, you've been compiling this list. I think it's great. Well, I, just, I grab science stories here and there, and I save them. And I, I have the first one is from fizz.org. Now, that's not F-I-Z-Z, fizz.org, P-H-Y-S.org. <laughs> oh, great. So fizz.org, which is, this is a serious organization, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they pass themselves off as a serious organization. And there are countless articles that appear on the fizz dash org website yeah. that are legitimate, real, genuine science, real breakthroughs, real stuff. Yeah, they rank pretty high in Google. These things pop up all the time. And so this particular article is titled, Evolution is Not as Random as Previously Thought. Now there, you need a rim shot stuff. on that. Yeah. That should be a rim shot. It's not as random. What are you talking yeah. about? It's not as random. <laughs> a whole idea that we've all been taught since we were in second grade is that it's random. Now, all of a sudden, it's maybe not as random? Yeah. In college textbooks on evolution, it says a major tenet of evolution is random mutations. Random mutations. Unguided. Yeah. Unguided, naturalistic, all of that. Well, this, a new study has found that evolution is not as unpredictable as previously thought, which could allow scientists to explore which genes could be useful to tackle real-world issues. So... It's almost as if the evolutionary biology community is getting ready to step outside of its own dogma because they realize if we really want to understand this stuff, we're going to have to treat it as if it were designed. But we're just going to have to do that. Now, they're not going to admit that it was designed. They're yep. certainly not going to admit that it was designed by an almighty creator who is the Lord of the universe. But they're going to have to start looking at it as if it makes sense. Exactly. And remember <laughs> Sal Cordova. He brought up yeah. the great point where there, all these companies are hiring MIT engineers, software programmers, right. because they realize the genome is really just elaborate software. So you're hiring people who know about software design. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. Basically, the article says, in effect, the researchers discovered an invisible ecosystem and, in parentheses, perhaps the design of the program. Perhaps yeah. the yeah. design of the program. Where genes can cooperate or can be in conflict with one another. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So, again, you always see creation and design in these evolution articles, and then they poo-poo it, and then they have to... They have to worship their god of evolution and make sure they're trying to push the evolutionary agenda, but... 
the big elephant in the room is design. It's just screaming out. Yes. And, you know, Doug, I want to do a show eventually on all the elephants in the room that we've talked about <laughs> through the last many years on Real Science Radio. We'll have a list show oh. of elephants in the room. Right, right. And one of the biggest one is that intelligent design elephant that's always, you know, bouncing around, stomping and yes. breaking all the shelves of the evolutionists uh -huh. flabbergasted and shocked and amazed. Yeah. So. And so because researchers are willing to admit, at least under their breath, that the, this looks like a program, this looks like a dynamic. In fact, we can take advantage of the fact that this appears to be a program. So they're going to be able to make some advances toward, for example, antibiotic resistance in bacteria, things like that. If they were just to strictly stick to the evolutionary biology model, they would restrict and hamper and retard their ability to make actual advancements. Yeah. And this article is something of an admission well, that they were wrong all along. That's not not to put too <laughs> fine a point on it, but I, I'm not one to say I told you so, but for crying out loud, if you're looking at this stuff and it looks like a computer code and it smells like a computer code and it quacks like a computer code, yep. maybe it's a code. Maybe there is design. And so we're thankful that they're willing to look at it that yeah. way. And sadly, you know, evolution and evolution science has kept science back for so long. It really impedes the progress of science. You know, things like removing tonsils because you thought it was a leftover vestigial organ and then you find out it yes. has a use. Uh -huh. I mean, there's so many examples. You know, Bob and I talked about immunology, and I'm probably saying that word wrong. Yeah, immunology, uh, yes. Yeah, where you use the body's own design to help fight cancer and uh -huh. just think of the years that that wasn't looked at because it is something that's clearly designed. Right. So, you know, we're making progress. In fact, now that you bring up a, a useless organ, I've got an article I picked okay. up off Science Alert, and it's about a useless organ that turns out it's not so useless. It turns out uh, lots of people have their thymus removed. That's right. And now a large study has shown that there's a significant increase in the risk of death from all causes later in life, all causes, yeah. if you have your thymus removed. So it turns out... The thymus has some capability that helps prevent cancer that we were completely unaware of. And now we can tell because people who've had their thymus removed, the data tells us. So the study is purely observational. Let's see, this is from sciencealert.com. Mm -hmm. It's purely observational, which means it cannot show that removing the thymus directly causes cancer or other fatal illnesses, but researchers are concerned by the findings and until we know more, they argue that preserving the thymus should now be a clinical priority where possible. Yes. So yeah. we're not exactly sure what's going on, but we might be breaking something. Let's stop breaking that if we can avoid that. Yeah. And how many times do they say this was never expected? The quote yeah. right out of the yeah. article, the magnitude of risk was something we would have never expected. Well, yeah. Yeah. maybe you would have expected it if you realized God is this ingenious engineer. He didn't put a thymus in there as some, well, you know, they think it's left over from evolutionary naturalistic processes. Uh -huh. But if you come at this from a design point of view, from Jesus Christ designed and we were, our bodies were perfect at the beginning. And yeah, we've decayed a little bit over time, even though we've got a wonderful quality control system that makes us not as, you know, the fallen creation hasn't wiped us out. No. But because of this elaborate quality control, but we 
Doug, we would have expected removing an organ would not be good. Right. We would not have to say, we would never expected removing it would cause problems. We would have expected not, Right. It. Absolutely. I would say, hey, if you don't have to remove that, let's not. Exactly. That would be the default yeah. position. Yeah. And it's interesting about the thymus. I, I didn't realize this, but so when you're very young, the thymus is obviously contributing to immune response. It produces all kinds of T cells. But as we get older, and by the time you're a teenager, young adult, the thymus shrivels up and it would appear that it's not really doing much of anything at all anymore. And so an evolutionary viewpoint takes a look at that and says, well, we could just cut it off. It's obviously, it's it's fulfilled yeah. its purpose. It, it's just an accident of evolution yeah. anyway. And evolution is trying to remove it. Who knows? Sure, the, maybe, the ideas maybe, maybe it's supposed with. to be falling off. <laughs> and it sounds silly, but if you take evolution to its natural, that's what like my kids always ask. Why are they so upset about the polar bears? If the, if the polar bears can't make it, it's survival of the fittest, baby. Yeah. Come on, quit crying about the polar bears and the whales. If they can't hang. Wins, you know, yeah, the polar bears. Yeah, and so lovely, if, little if, if you take creatures. evolution to its natural progression of where it's going, I mean, you end up with, well, not to, again, not to put too fine a point on it, but you end up with a teenager wearing a shirt that says natural selection, walking into his high school with an automatic weapon. Yeah. That's what you end up with yeah. if you Palm take it. Yep, yeah, exactly. I, absolutely. Those kind of beliefs have consequences. Yes. So. Whereas if you believe that God created us and we all bear his image and we are all responsible to our creator, which means we're all responsible to each other, we learn a lesson to love one another because God loves us. And so, and God loves you. And so if you don't know about Jesus Christ, give us a call, send us an email. We'd love to tell you more about the creator. Well, you know, speaking of people emailing us, and we love it when you guys email us and yeah. call us, and we get, we've been getting quite a few. So we got one from a, a regular listener, Joshua Purcell. Thank you for emailing this in. This is just last week. And yeah, so this yeah, is a yeah. recent article. So I wanted to bring this one up, Doug. And so if you look at it, the title of the article, and this is from Western News, and this is the title, Discovery Changes Understanding of Water's History on the Moon. Hmm. And the subtitle is Western Cosmochemist. So I did, that's a new- Cosmochemist. I'm going to go to college and be a cosmochemist. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so this cosmochemist finds early lunar crust had more water than previously estimated. Huh. Imagine now, where that. Would water, what would water be doing on the moon? Now, if the moon is millions of years old, it should be dry and inert, basically. That's what but I would have thought. The moon was kind of young, like maybe 6,000 years old, you know, somewhere in that vicinity, and you're finding water on it. Mm -hmm. Could Jesus Christ, maybe he created water on the moon to begin with? That could or be. could there be some other reason that water ends up on the moon? Mm-hmm. And these are rocks that she's looked at. So this isn't like, you know, seismic tomography or any kind of... No, these are... These they, are this isn't yeah, models. This is pictures of the rocks. Exactly. Yeah. So this is something that's pretty concrete evidence. And so Joshua emailed this in and said, is this another working for Walt Brown scientist? Is this lady, her name is Tara Hayden. I want to know, Tara, did you know you work for Walt Brown? <laughs> <laughs> Little did she know when she signed up for the whole cosmochemist thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cosmochemist thing yeah. from Walt Brown. They should have it in the school of Walt Brown, Dr. Yeah, Walt that's Brown, right. school <laughs> that's of right. cosmic chemistry. So 
If you look at the article, this is what she says. It has been long believed the lunar surface has been dried out for thousands or even millions of years, as we just mentioned. If long believed. years, it should yes. be dried out. Right. But she goes on, but maybe there might be more water available than we thought on the surface of the moon, and we just need to find a way to extract it. So, Doug, this reminds me of astronaut Alan Shepard. Remember what he discovered on the moon? Uh, let's see. He, they, he found a rock. Right, and, they, and they, did they bring it back to the Earth? They brought it. They back brought to it the back Earth. to yep. the Earth. Yes, I don't remember and, all the details. Yes, refresh my memory. Yeah, several decades ago. Well, then it turns out that one of the rocks he brought back, they examined it more closely, and they found ah, water in it. That's right. And guess what? Yeah. And not only that, they believe that that rock came from Earth. So now you've got a rock from Earth, right, with water in it. Yeah. And so, and they know, found start, it on the moon. They find it on the uh, moon. On the moon. Hmm. Yeah. So, Interesting. <laughs> so here's what this is from Science, the website Science. They produce the science journal, science.org. They yes. do Science Magazine, right. which is one of the most prestigious secular science journals in the world. Indeed. This is what he said, this scientist named Kring. He said, the results, Kring says, indicate that the rock formed in a water-rich environment at temperatures and pressures corresponding to 19 kilometers beneath the surface of the Earth. Beneath the surface yeah, of the Earth. Uh, interesting. Does the Bible ever talk about anything about like the fountains of the great deep and, and the pillars? And pillars. And, yes. And, yeah. There are there are some passages in yeah, there. Yeah, and uh -huh. there's a lot of stuff. And so this is clearly working for Walt Brown. Yeah. Now, for those who think that oh, it just this is just a coincidental. This is one rock. You have to realize. Alan Shepard didn't bring back that many rocks. No. He did not win the rock lottery and happened to pick one <laughs> rock that looks like it may have come from uh, 20 miles beneath the Earth's surface, or excuse me, 19 kilometers. Right. That means there's a lot more rocks like that, Doug. Yes. And this lady, yeah, Hayden, and, and she's by the, and, finding, and elaborating on this. She's confirming the fact that there's way more water on the moon than we might have thought. And I want to confirm that uh, Hayden, what was her first name? Did we get her first name here? Tara. Tara, Tara Hayden, Hayden um, I just want to make it clear, Tara cannot identify any way she wants. She's a girl. In fact, they call her, they say she is working on her PhD in the article. Okay. So we, we joke around about identifying as whatever, but we're not serious about that. You're not allowed to do that. We don't roll that way. We don't play that. Yeah. No, you, you can't. Yeah. It's Ms. Hayden at this point because we don't, we don't know that she's married. But we do know she's a girl. Yeah, yeah we <laughs> do know that. we do yeah. know that she works for Walt Brown because she's confirmed yet more water on the moon than we would have thought because it hasn't been dried out for millions of years because there just hasn't been millions of years. There yeah. just hasn't been. No. And of course, in this article, Miss Hayden says that lunar meteorites are revealing new exciting parts of the moon's evolution of course so you've got to bow down to the evolution in order to even get published in some yes. of these secular journals yes 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 uh, of course. even though the evidence just continues to pile on enormously for creation and what we would posit at real science radio it's obvious that we support the hydroplate theory we do as the best explanation for the global flood there's other ideas out there that we have problems with we think the hydroplate theory just has so much evidence for it. And here's yet another example. And I like to thank Joshua for emailing that in. Last yes, week. thanks, Josh. We appreciate it. Yep. And uh, and thanks, Tara. 
Uh, yeah. We'll have uh, Walt doesn't sign any checks or anything, but you, you'll get credit where credit is due when it really matters, Tara. So. Yep. And this again was from Western News, and this is uh, last week, January 15th, 2024. Yes. A story so. from uh, our fine neighbors to the north up there in Canada. So, Doug, you've got a huge list of science articles that you've accumulated. Is there another one that you'd like to... Uh... Well, we've got a 1.75 billion-year-old discovery, and then we've about also... About the origin of life, and so we're going to really talk a lot about that when we have Dr. Turan. Yes, yes. So, but before we get to that, I want to do this, uh, I want to do this quick on uh, dairy fat, because oh, I, know, okay. I know your opinion of milk and all that. <laughs> I recently switched to whole milk. Because okay. I read this article. This is from LouRockwell.com. I don't know how, a, how great a source Lou Rockwell is. Yeah. Is that like, a guy? Or? It's a guy named Lou. And okay. so can you trust a guy named Lou? Well, <laughs> probably as much as fizz.org. Is that a country song, <laughs> a guy named Lou? Uh, 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 a boy named Sue. Okay, there you go. Yes. But, you know, it's the sequel, a boy but, named... But, uh, but Lou is quoting uh, Dr. Joseph Mercola... Dr. Mercola has some really great stuff. He has some other stuff that I, I find a, a, a bit questionable, but generally, Dr. Mercola's health advice is pretty good. Okay. You know, okay. eat well, exercise, don't eat a lot of processed garbage, cut yeah. down on the sugar and the carbs, and a lot of good common sense. And they talk about whole milk and raw milk is good because of its saturated fat content. I'll link to this article. You might be missing out if you're not drinking whole milk or raw milk. You might be missing out on one of the greatest health foods out there. And they cite a study where they've repeatedly failed to find an association between a full-fat dairy diet and cardiovascular events, number one. Okay. And they found the opposite. A full-fat dairy reduces your risk of cardiovascular events. And one of the reasons are the different types of fatty acids... It turns out all these fatty acids are important, and we need a, a large variety of different, they call them um, odd chain and even chain fatty acids. And I'm not going to pretend that I understand what they all are, yeah. but if you look at life through the lens of creationism, the fact that God made us and he made everything perfect at the beginning and everything is broken, but everything works as a system that was designed... Well, you see that there are all these different types of fatty acids that can be metabolized in a, in a biological organism, like let's say a human being or a cat or a dog or whatever. Well, it would make sense that probably all of these fatty acids, they all have something to contribute to the bigger picture. Okay. And so it turns out maybe cutting out all the fat and cutting out all the, the whole milk and the raw, the dairy, that might not be the greatest idea. Maybe... Maybe moderation is, is a better, uh, but well, not for you. Unless you're allergic and it makes well, you throw up, here, then I can understand yeah, you don't want. I'm not allergic, but Doug, I'm just not a very tolerant person <laughs> when it comes to milk. I am what's called lactose intolerant. And my wife is very thankful that I don't take the advice of this article and start drinking whole milk. Because then I think she would probably have a cardiovascular event. <laughs> Because it's just to say life is more pleasant for my wife if I'm not drinking milk because it does, you know, upset the stomach. And so, I spent years trying to figure out, like, I don't know, my mid-40s, maybe early 50s. I actually eventually went to a doctor because, like, what's my issue here? Because I'm just not having 
what I think are normal behavior. So guess what they they diagnosed me? They said I had irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, okay. well, I looked it up, and I, and like every, I encourage everybody always do your own research. Oh, don't, absolutely. Don't be a doctor, but but be smart about and realize that doctors are fallible. Any industry and any type of discipline is fallible. So I did well, research. Sure. Well, guess what irritable bowel syndrome is? It's a made-up disease. It's, <laughs> it's, it really is. It's when they don't know what's going on, they say, oh, you've got irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. So I decided, well, I'm going to give up milk. And I'd given up milk for a week, but that wasn't long enough. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try giving up dairy for like three weeks or a month. And by about the two-week point, my whole, I don't want to say it over the radio, but the irritable bowel the, syndrome. The irritable the whole bowel thing, syndrome went away vanished and my wife was the most thankful person I'm in the sure. world i'm sure and it really did i mean truly the amount of problems i was having and it, not, it wasn't terrible it wasn't like but it was just enough to be irritable you know yeah. it's, a, it's a good name for that disease <laughs> that's probably where they came up with yeah it, 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 it irritates it solved my problem well so you might want to try finding another source for odd chain Fatty acids. I will do some for research for look. I'll look for odd chain fatty acids. Yes, Hopefully, yes. the almond milk has odd chain fatty acids. So, why do they call it milk? But I don't think you can call anything milk unless you get it through a milking process. I don't think it should be called milk. I think the almonds and uh, what are the other ones? There's all kinds of them now. There's almond, there's Almond, silk, something. Soy milk. Soy, oat milk. I think oat milk. That's not milk. milk. It is. It's. They're just taking stuff and they're mashing it up and they're mixing it with water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'm a milk purist. I and would love to still be able to drink milk. I actually love milk. I miss having a good milkshake. I cannot have a oh, shake. If I even have a quarter of a, of a oh, shake, that's because sad. I gave up milk, and yeah, I know we're yeah. kind of going off topic, but I gave up milk, I become even more intolerant to milk. Even yeah. as I go along, as I can't even have a little bit, and it's oh. yeah. Well, uh, you know, so it's not that you have anything personal against milk; it's just a no. biological reality. Yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, I still think that it's a uh, that you guys have the mutation that make you be able to still drink milk. <laughs> right? I could be wrong. Definitely. I mean, this is the argument that I could be wrong, and the Bible could maybe be telling me I'm wrong because it says I'm taking you into a land of milk and honey. Oh, I mean, yeah, if that was yeah, a, yeah. a land of whole milk and honey. <laughs> Ah, These right. guys aren't young. They're older. It's the whole range of people going into the promised land. It wasn't just younger people oh, no. who could still drink cold milk. No, this is everybody. So I could be wrong. Well, um, we'll find know. out. We'll find out on Judgment Day on the other side. I don't think that'll be a part of Judgment Day. That'll, be, could a, that'll be, be a say, later day. It could be I say, God, am I wrong? God, I think that I don't have the mutation and I got the healthy gene that I'm lactose intolerant at my age. And God might go... <laughs> I might get the You're buzzer, wrong, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we're almost out of time. We've got 1.75 billion years left. So, <laughs> no, scientists have now pushed back the, uh, let's see, I've got a, where did I get this from? Uh, now, I downloaded this. I'm not going to recommend this. I'm not even going to give the name of this site. I'm going to find a better place. I don't know how I end up with this. You know what it is, <laughs> is I have a Yahoo email address that I used to use only for junk. Like if I was going to sign up to use a, a two-week free download or whatever, I would always use this Yahoo I email. I would call address. Yahoo email junk. I mean, I think, you know, That's hopefully Yahoo doesn't for. come after me. But I'm telling you, you guys run ads on your stupid email program and your email's that, junk. It, that's it. Yeah. So I had this email that I used to only use, but then I ended up, now I use it for something that I actually have to check because something I 
something I did the two-week trial on. I ended up buying it and using oh, it for gotcha. my business. Now I check this Yahoo email a couple times a day. Yep. And so just like you said, there's ads, but there's also the news feed of the average moron is what I call it. This is what the average moron sees in their news feed. And there's inevitably stories about, I think maybe Yahoo can tell I'm interested in science a little bit. And so they're constantly feeding me articles like this one. Scientists just made a 1.75 billion year old discovery about the origin of life. Hmm. And so the average moron reads this <laughs> and they think that scientists have made a discovery about the origin of life, which is not the case at no. all. No. When we have Dr. Tour on, people wonder why he yells. Did you hear they what was just happening yells, to me? Yeah. Well, when you read this, you're you, it, it's upsetting that headlines like this are designed to be misleading to people who aren't really fully paying attention. If you were educated in the government schools and then you went to college and you got your degree and you're now working in the corporate world, you're not necessarily focused on the origins of life. And as you go through your life, over time, you see hundreds and hundreds of headlines like this. You have the mistaken assumption that scientists actually understand the origins of life through the lens of biology, evolutionary biology, and old earth cosmology. All the stuff you learned in grade school, these headlines reinforce that that's actually been borne out now by the scientific evidence and it's completely misleading oh yeah completely false so and what you're referring to doug is it's not some chemical reaction or something they found that oh this kind of points to how life could have began the origin of life this was something they found inside fossilized bacteria mm -hmm. from australia and canada right so they claim the fossils are 1.75 billion years old. Yes. And so it it pushes back the undisputed, the, the undisputed <laughs> origin of photosynthesis as we know it by at least 1.2 billion years. Okay, now wait a second. Wait a second. So they say this is 1.75 billion years old. They say that the origin of photosynthesis up until now was undisputed. Yeah. But we just suddenly pushed it back. By 1.2 billion years. It's a lot. How many orders of magnitude is that? That's so it's remarkable. How was that undisputed? And 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 yeah, and how does this really help your case? Is this another example of something that doesn't fit yeah. at all? <laughs> you know, and of course the age of 1.75 billion. You know, they probably got that age from what the rocks. So they know that the bacteria is that old because the rocks they found the bacteria in were that old. How do they know the rocks are that old? Because these bacteria they found. Yeah, like fossils. <laughs> and so I. Fossils date the rocks, rock date the fossils. You Who think knows? I'm joking? I, it's actually not joking. That type of circular logic is used mm -hmm. in uh, the, the dating schema. Yep. So basically, scientists, this was, this was published in Nature. I'll try to find the link on Nature and then I can link to it without linking to this other website that Yahoo hooked me up with. So this was published in Nature, and they say this is the oldest evidence they have of thylakoid membranes. And these are membranes that can convert. Uh, let me see. I don't want to mess this up because it's, it's rather sophisticated what these membranes do. 
They say the find is significant, according to one of the researchers, because it helps scientists understand how complex life evolved on Earth by helping them understand how photosynthesis came about, okay? How photosynthesis Mm -hmm. came about. Understanding this can help us look for evidence of this life-giving, world-changing process on other planets. Okay, so they haven't figured out how it happened on this planet, and they've got, they're surrounded by it. You look at this stuff all day long. So anyway, when something moves your undisputed target date or or, or your undisputed date of origin back by uh, 10 or more orders of magnitude, I think you have to admit that maybe you don't know what's going on. Yeah, and we hope that when we uh, present this information, at the very least, we want you to think critically. Just don't take this stuff for granted. We know that we have some atheists listen to us and some people are on the fence. And this is, we're trying to give you Another perspective, and not to be what I would say is brainwashed by all this stuff that comes at you as undisputed. Well, guess what? The undisputed is is now disputed. Uh, Yes. Just don't trust these things you hear. They always find, Doug, the missing link. Uh And when they find that missing link, they admit they couldn't find the missing link. That's right. (laughs) But yet they'll say they found the missing link. And then 10 years after that, they'll say, hey, we've never found the missing link, but now we found the missing link. Like, we're not supposed to notice that you can't find the missing link more than once. You're not allowed. Yep. Right? Are we not supposed to notice that? Oh, I missed this part. I wanted to get to this. The the one thing that's not disputed is that these structures in these fossilized bacteria are capable of turning sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide into energy and oxygen. That's undisputed. What these these membranes do is fantastically sophisticated. Yeah, and incredibly complex. Yes. It's a marvel of engineering design. Yeah. And they act like it's some simple structure. Uh Uh-huh. It's not. So, Doug, we're actually out of time. I did want to mention, just on January 15th last week, scientists discover key stepping stone to the original life. So when we have Dr. Tour on, we might want to mention that. This was uh, reported in Newsweek. Oh, boy. And it talks about fatty acids and how they could be formed in these hydrothermal vents. Oh, yes. And remember, we had Dr. Truman on, and he talked about how heat actually destroys amino acids, and they'll run their experiment up until it starts to destroy them, and then they'll end the experiment. And they'll say, we got it. (laughs) But they won't say, oh, but then it was obliterated. Oh, yes. So at the end of this show, I'll provide a link to uh, (laughs) Dr. Truman's two shows, two-part series uh, a biogenesis and Amazing. the origin of life and how he's such a fantastic guest we've had on the show. Looking forward to having James tour. It'll be and fabulous. Just keep knocking this ball out of the park on the origin of life claims. That's right. So, well, Doug, thanks for these articles. I think we've only gotten through two pages out of, you have like 19 here. So we have <laughs> we lots, got lots of, of material. Stuff. Always yeah. never ending. It's thanks, never Fred. ending. Yep. Thank you, Doug. So for Doug McBurney, I'm Fred Williams of Real Science Radio. May God bless you. about.